Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Turan. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. My name is Cameron Ellen Jarrell, also known as Tranos. Say that shit with your whole chest or I'll stomp you in your nuts multiple times until they come out your mouth, pop your eyes out. With me today is a special guest on Tranos and the Lived Experience. And introduce yourself. I am Jared Neymarek and I do social media for New Queer Order. Specifically Tranos and the Lived Experience, TM. <laughs> Specifically, Tranos and the Lived Experience. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate all the hard work you do, and I'm glad that we were able to sit down and have this conversation today. Today's topic is, what does trans look like? Let's, let's broaden that. What does queer look like? So, let's broaden that. What's queer look like to you? To me, queer looks like just... Whatever you want it to look like. It's very queer as an essence inside of you. Like my queerness may not look like yours and ours may not look like next two people's or the next two people's. It's it's hard to define it in a broad sense, but I think everybody can define their queerness as it pertains to themselves. I like that. I like that. I would say that like queerness is about authenticity in, in, in all its forms. It's about freedom. And it's more of a spiritual, like, uh, holistic, individualistic way of expressing yourself. And I don't think that it has a uniform. And that's what we're kind of talking about today. Uh, We want to talk about the misconceptions about stereotypically visual queerness and how it is attributed to all of us somehow. My aesthetic, um, we kind of know a little about my aesthetic. I'll get into that. Let's talk about yours. How do you feel comfortable in your queerness? What makes you feel comfortable in your queerness? My aesthetic is kind of the most boring you can probably imagine. Just white tee, jeans, black shoes, very basic. And looking at stereotypes, it looks like the average cis heteronormative type of look. And I'm sure I just look like the cis heteronormative masculine person doesn't necessarily that definition doesn't necessarily pertain to me personally but i i guess fit the description so to speak and when you say you fit the description so to speak is that to you or is that to the outside world is that how you think the outside world is perceiving you i think it's how the outside world perceives me because there was very much a time where i wasn't sure if i was allowed to just be open about my asexuality because I felt like I didn't look like an asexual or just look like a queer person. And it was it was never something that I necessarily hid. If someone asked, I would tell, but it would be rare if ever someone would ask because, again, I don't fit the description per stereotypical descriptions. Right, and that's so weird because, like, stereotypically, we... Uh, <laughs> stereotypically like what does asexual look like what does queerness look like and we a lot of the times what these things are supposed to be looked upon as are subscriptions and prescriptions that are given by people who don't live that life we all know that the like cis heteronormative world only likes vanilla ice cream so why would we sit around and wait for them to tell us what flavor of ice cream we are it's fucking weird right have you ever thought about it that way like they only like vanilla ice cream so when fucking Rocky Road with fucking rainbow gummy bears pops up, everybody lose their fucking mind. I don't necessarily know what asexual looks like. I, I know that you are asexual. I know that I am trans and pansexual. What the fuck does the uh, what uniform? Like, did you pick up your uniform yet? Because I never got mine. Did you I get one? Mine. I know there was a uniform. I don't remember hearing that there was a fucking uniform in a community is all about nonconformity. Why would I conform to some prescribed notion of what I should be just because I identify as queer? Like a lot of the time, 
we face that kind of pressure from uh, outside sources. We face it from the government. We face it from media. We face it from oppressors. Uh, uh, there's a, a lot of the time, queer community, say what you got to say after I say this, but say it with your whole fucking chest. We also have to deal with it from you. We have to deal with it from the queer community that's telling us, oh, d- d- I don't know if you want to go out looking like that. Doesn't look gay enough maybe you should get a rainbow maybe you get a a flag here maybe wear an earring there color your hair a different color or in in the thought patterns of trans people it's always oh well maybe you should pack so it looks like you have this or maybe you should tuck that it's always this perception of what queerness should look like as prescribed by subsets of people within an oppressed community we're borrowing fucking oppression from the outside and then demonstrating it and practicing it on it on each other and it's a little fucking weird to me you know what i'm saying you get what i mean yeah i would definitely agree with that and i'll even like piggyback off of that and say that I think a lot of those stereotypes come from the media and I think media more often than not when you look at a TV show or a movie, it's it portrays quote unquote acceptable versions of queerness. Like the average the average trade person is gonna accept queerness if it looks non threatening, if it looks like RuPaul in a suit, for example. Like they are willing to accept that or Andy Cohen in a suit or Anderson Cooper in a suit. These look like nice, non-threatening people. But if it looks like the average day person, it's not going to be as accepting. And the non-accepting versions, those are the versions of queerness that aren't given a space in queer spaces or straight spaces. Correct, correct. I would say that a lot of what queer should look like to people comes from media in the form of popular shows. I'm going to age myself now. And I fucking hated the show when it first came out. The L Word. I saw the first season of that and I I didn't like it. There was five different queer archetypes that all happened to be white. Uh, Queer as folk. (laughs) Another five white men (laughs) who were supposed to represent every archetype of queer. And all of them were white. Um, Then we had to have the juxtaposition. I don't know if you remember um, uh, Noah's Ark. Yes. See, that was my shit. But at the same time, there were still archetypes. We pass archetypes into our community. And then we what we do is we check everybody to make sure that they're fitting one of them. I don't fit any of them. They don't have barbarian, trans, pansexual in the art archetype. So that's a problem for some of the community. And I don't give a fuck because you can't take my queerness from me. I'm still queer no matter if I don't fit into this box or not. And... The L word was highly problematic, not just for its race shit and, and representation shit. It was highly problematic because it told uh, um, lesbians who are now starting to come into their own or uh, are now almost 40 years old that you had to fit into this box. Um, and uh, social media trends going to like um, Vine, all the lesbians would roll up the legs of their jeans. So you started seeing that happening. So if you weren't doing it, you weren't a lesbian. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you still eat pussy. You're still a lesbian. You can wear culottes every day. You can wear fucking dungarees if you fucking want. You shouldn't have to roll up the leg to be this thing. Um, Then we started getting into the breakdowns of how we respond. Like um, us categorizing each other like um, studs. Studs, stems, fems. Like you have to fit an archetype. You don't necessarily have to do any of those things. I, I completely love like the STEM aesthetic when it comes to lesbianism, because like they don't necessarily have to be one thing. I love it because you don't necessarily have to be one thing. Um, just like uh, us talking about RuPaul's Drag Race and and how that pushed the uh, the zeitgeist for it when it came to what queer aesthetic and what queer people look like. Even that was a mild representation because at the same time you had to conform to a standard to even get on the show. That's why you have shows out there right now that are the counterculture, like the Boulay Brothers and shit like that. Shout out to the Boulay Brothers. Hope you motherfuckers have me on your show as a guest. My whole crew, my whole clan. Shout out to the Boulay Brothers. Because now we're seeing that you don't have to be a drag supermodel. You could be a drag monster. 
the, the, the doors burst wide open to an aesthetic that no one's like really thinking about because we're trying to be so polished. You can look like whatever the fuck you want. You could be a werewolf. You could be a fucking elf. You could be a mummy. You could be whatever the fuck you want. I subscribe to that kind of queerness because that's rebel shit. That's renegade shit. That's punk rock. And that's what queerness is. I mean, like, am I wrong? Like, you gotta agree. Like, queerness is, is, is rebellion. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. And I think you landed on something really interesting that I never really considered until now. Like, most of the stereotypes that become perpetrated are created and started by cis people. Like, if you look at movies and TV shows, the very earliest examples of queerness in movies and TV shows, queer people weren't allowed into those spaces. So you had straight white people writing of what they think a queer person is or what they think a queer person should look like in their movie and it often led to a lot of problematic stances because they're they're trying to write a person who they've never met or a life that they've never lived and so it's just very messy but because those are very early depictions those depictions kind of withstood the test of time and became the stereotypes we see today and stereotypes that people who don't fit those stereotypes are ashamed into not fitting those descriptions. Like let like let, let's let's bring in the, the the rise of ballroom culture. Ballroom culture was influenced uh by uh, cis heteronormative um aesthetics. The goal in those things, uh, in, in ballrooms in the early, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, the goal was to pass, to look like you were on Dynasty, to look like you could have possibly been on uh, some soap opera. And all the people who were on those shows were white. Everybody was aspiring to look like uh, Jane Fonda and, and, and everybody was aspi aspiring to look like the white woman of the day, Audrey Hepburn and all those things. Nobody was aspiring to look like Eartha Kitt. No one was aspiring to be something different. And once we got into the ballroom culture where we started getting categories where you you won based upon your level of passing, those things started to infiltrate LGBTQ culture. And we started worrying about passing privilege. We started worrying about those things because in the end of the, at the end of the day, ballroom culture was a competition to see how easily we could pass in and out of their world. But what happens when you don't want to be part of their world anymore? When you look and we talked about it, I talked about it in episode otherworldly. I don't want to be part of the passing world. I want to be comfortable with myself i want to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and love me i don't want to i don't want to uh, subscribe to what i should look like i want to be in love with what i am i want to be in love with who i look like and that doesn't necessarily for a lot of people and and, and especially because i i have to zero in into the trans community because that's my experience i don't necessarily believe that and, and it's very true all trans people aren't aren't striving to look like cis people. We're not all striving to pass. There's a large group of us who are being influenced to do so through violence, through ridicule, through, through harassment. But it is a very, very um, revolutionary thing to wake up in the morning and realize that you are otherworldly and that's okay. I think queerness and that in summation, my queerness is otherworldly. My queerness can't be can't be uh, pinned down. My queerness can't be put into this box. And my queerness is 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 whatever I feel that day. If I want to put on fucking metallic purple power pants and go outside, can't nobody say shit. If I want to uh, put a dress on and not tuck my dick, whatever. If I don't want to wear a bra, okay. If I don't want to shave my arms, okay. If I want to get a tattoo, good. If I don't great if i want to take my hrt good if i don't great queerness is freeing queerness is freedom that's what queerness looks like In a, a country that ref is refusing us freedoms constantly queerness looks like freedom yeah. absolutely yeah and i definitely agree with that and i'll even go as far as to like piggyback off that and say queerness is self-love and self-discovery it's all about 
discovering something in yourself and learning to love it and then presenting that love to the world, whether people outside of your own perception love or hate as long as you love it. That's what queerness really is. Right, right. I believe that queerness is all-encompassing. And when we stop uh, labeling each other and putting each other into these weird-ass categories, that's when we'll start to love ourselves more, and that's when we'll be able to pass that love on to the next generation so that we're not compounding the bullshit that comes from outside. Because everything that comes out from outside of our community about us is just noise. We need to start sitting down and unsubscribing from the bullshit. Like, no, I'm not going to play the game they want me to play outside. If I want to come outside with two bulging black eyes, I can do that. If I want to color my hair, I can do that. But it's not necessarily something I have to do. You get what I'm saying? Like, you waking up in the morning and deciding that a white t-shirt and a pair of jeans and black sneakers is cool is is great for me. I don't necessarily think that's vanilla. I think that's your comfort. And that's what we should start talking about. We should stop trying to initiate people into these weird-ass fraternities. That's what we should stop doing. Absolutely. Everybody's got different looks, and someone's other look is not necessarily going to fit my aesthetic. Like, I could be, as the phrase goes, out and proud, out and about, let my freak flag fly with bright colors, pink suit, rainbow colors, or anything like that, but I'm not going to be comfortable. When I see myself in bright colors, I feel like something's just off. Like, it doesn't necessarily fit me i don't feel comfortable in these vibrant colors nothing's wrong with those colors they just don't fit me so i'll go right. back to my white tee black shoes and jeans right 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 there's no uniform here there's no uniform there's no set of rules we do band together based upon interests and that can be said to a certain extent will influence what a, a group or, or a small chasm of people will do, but that's not necessarily how you have to respond to uh, other people's queerness. You don't have to assimilate other people's uh, aesthetics or styles or thought processes or, or, or ideologies. You don't even have to subscribe to what we're saying now. You don't even have to do that. Like, if you listen to this and you take something from it, that's cool, but I'm not going to dictate your queerness on whether or not you listen to my show. Or maybe I might. I mean, it's up to you. You can guess and see if I'm going to do it. And let's see if I'm telling the truth. So if if we're sitting here and we're telling you, like, hey, stop, uh, stop pressuring your friends to look like you. Because we don't need a bunch of trans boxy twins walking around here. We don't need a, a bunch of queer asexual people walking around here being like, hey, if you don't wear white T-shirts, jeans, and black black shoes, you're not asexual. If you don't dress like a barbarian war war priestess, you're not trans. We can't do that shit. It's, it, it subscribes to, like, once again, like, RuPaul's Drag Race is, is synonymous with those kind of quotes. If you're not wearing nails, you're not doing drag. If you're not tucked, you're not doing drag. If you're not uh, uh, shaping your body, you're not doing drag. Now we're subscribing those things to, act, to people's actual identities. Like, come on now, this ain't a competition. We don't all get a hundred thousand dollars at the end of this. We don't have to lip sync for our lives. Like chill the fuck out. <laughs> like, like if I step outside and I look like Tracy Chapman one day, that's my business. If I step out the, the next day and I look like a fucking goth El black Elvira, that's my business. And I should be allowed to express my queerness any way I want to. There's a huge palette of colors out there in the world. There's all kinds of different aesthetics that you can jump into. You don't necessarily have to be one aesthetic. You can switch on a daily basis. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Leave the vanilla ice cream for the vanilla people. Leave that shit. Yeah, leave that shit for them. We got a whole buff ice cream buffet around here. We got granola sprinkles. We got fucking Oreo cookies. We got every fucking flavor of ice cream. If they want to show up to the ice cream social and only eat vanilla ice cream, fuck them. Fuck them. You paid the same amount of money I did to get here, and you just gonna eat vanilla ice cream? All right, straight. Like you got that, but don't tell me I should be eating vanilla ice cream because it's all the shit over here on this table, and I'm about to sample all the shit. Period. And I'm hungry. That's why I keep bringing up ice cream. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. And uh, like even on that point, like even just beyond looks, I guess like shifting the conversation a little bit, it goes to queer people who have had different experiences from the average queer person. And, like, crew people who shouldn't be shamed, like, for example, a bi person or a pansexual person should not be shamed if they have had more, if they've 
dated more of a certain gender than another gender, for example. Or she goes, oh, you, how can you say you're a pan? Or how can you say you're bi if you've only dated this gender? Like, queerness isn't an experience. Like, queerness is very much, well, let me rephrase that. It's not everyone's experience. Like, not everyone has had the same experience. And so you shouldn't judge someone else's experience and how their experience affects their queerness. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally get that. As a pansexual person, uh, I have been um, questioned about, like, um, love interests that I've had in the past. I have only had long-term relationships with uh, cis women. I've only had long-term relationships with cis women. That does not necessarily mean that I have not had tryst with other sexes. Because I have. And my sexual resume ain't none of your motherfucking business. <laughs> if I've only had uh, long-term relationships with cis women, then it's up to me to look inside and wonder why that is. Or I can just call it what it is and say it was based upon attraction at the time. Attraction at the time... It was much easier to be in a relationship with a woman. It was much easier uh, to be in a relationship with a cis woman because, like, I didn't really feel the need to express outwardly my attractions to other things. Like, and I'm not calling people things, but to other people. I didn't want to, uh, as a person who literally kept their sexuality of a secret for almost 30 years, like, I didn't want anybody knowing that I was having um, relationships with non-binary people. I didn't want them to know that I was having relationships with other trans people. I didn't want them to know that I was having uh, relationships with cis men. I didn't want them knowing that I was having relationships um, uh, and, and, and even in that in that right with uh, asexuals. Like nobody knew that I was like, or agender people. I've had relationships with all of those things, but long-term, well-known, documented relationships in my uh, sexual resume have only been with cis women. None of those other relationships lasted that long because they were all based in secret. E either one party or both parties were hiding parts of themselves from the rest of the world. And them being together was too dangerous or 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 or, or too embarrassing. I'm doing air quotes, people, because I know y'all can't see me or too embarrassing. Like, so, yeah, I had relationships that lasted. Uh, uh, and a long term relationship to me is anything that lasts longer than two years. So. I've had long-term relationships with at least four cisgender women, and I have been judged for that as not being pan enough because I haven't had long-term relationships with anything else. I'm open. My my inbox is open if you're trying to fuck. But <laughs> but uh, I'm constantly being judged. Like, with every part of you, uh, every part of your que queerness is, is put under a microscope, and it's like... Even with bi, like with bisexual people, like bisexual people have to deal with being erased all the time because some people don't see their their relationship as valid because it's not based in their preference. Like a, a gay man telling a, a bisexual man that his preference isn't valid because he's had relationships with women that that's the same shit heteros heterosexuals are doing to us. What the fuck? Like, like we, we're subscribing to borrowed oppressions. We have to start realizing where all these stereotypes and this need for classification comes from. It comes from borrowed aesthetic oppression and and and, uh, and a cis heteronormative way of thinking. And as queer people, we don't think the cis heteronormative way. So why are we borrowing their ideals when it suits us in arguments? Or why are we not? Uh, uh, we ask the world to do research on us. We ask the world to figure figure things out without like us having to constantly hold their hand and educate them. Do the same for other people. Just realize that like, hey, I might not be asexual. I might not know everything there is to know about your experience. I feel like you and me have a relationship where I would be able to ask you those things. But if you felt uncomfortable with me asking you those things, it's my job to then seek out that information so that I have a better understanding because I'm asking people to understand me. So I should be willing to understand others. Right. Absolutely. And a lot on that note, too, like a lot of people don't, I guess, comprehend that, like you can change, you can change your outlook the more information you get. And what I mean by that is that you can 
identify as one thing one day and then just completely change your perception, sexuality the next day. It's all about your journey. And as you talk about your journey, I kind of relate to it in a way because up until recently, I identified both as ace and pan. And the pan part just came from me. <clears throat> when I entered relationships, I just wouldn't care about someone else's gender. It was just about the person. And the more I shift away from that, it I kind of realized that was more that was more of like an aroman a was aromanticness of it yeah. all, like aromantic because I I didn't care because I just didn't care to enter relationships. It was one of those uh what's the word um um God, when you're trying to fit certain status quo um uh, performative that's it yeah. Yeah, it was like you were conceding. You were conceding because you just didn't want to have to explain it. Absolutely. Right. And out of that performance, I can now say I'm asexual and aromantic. And it's something that's it's a new thing for me. Well, not necessarily new, just new way to find myself because I'm getting new information. I'm looking at my history and discovering new things, experiencing new things, and reevaluating how I see myself. And I think that's what a lot of queer people do, but they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be, I don't think this is the right word, but disgruntled by other people who are told that, oh, you haven't experienced this, so you can't identify as this. They can identify however they want. You can identify however you want. It's all about your journey and your perception of yourself. Right. To, to boil down someone's experience to something that you've experienced and, and that you find to be true for you doesn't necessarily make what they're doing wrong. Like uh, my walk uh, th- through my sexual preference, sexual preference was less of the problem for me. My sexual preference, I identified when I was younger as bisexual, but that was only because I didn't know what pan was. Like I had no representation of what a pansexual was at that time i had no idea that it was even a word that i could use and so i identified as bisexual when i first came out and the first time i came out i was 12. oh it was not met with much fucking accolade um when i came out as a 12 year old i was told that there was no possible way you could be bisexual because you never had a relationship with a boy yet now they didn't get it <laughs> like of, of course at 12 years old i hadn't had any sexual activity but I did have attractions. I did have attractions. And we can't walk back somebody's identity and preference based upon our understanding of the world. Because even in our ultimate understanding of what the world is, we don't understand that person. We don't understand their the, their individual needs or wants or dreams. We don't understand the path that they took to get to where they are. We don't understand any of that shit. And what we should be doing is we should be fostering the ability to be what you are, to be exactly who you say you are in that moment without any repercussions, without any fucking back talk, without any pushback. So when a person says to me, hey, I'm a romantic, I'm like, man, that's interesting. I don't really know a lot about it. If you want to share a little bit, that's cool. If you don't, I have some work to do. If you want, uh, if you want to uh, give me, uh, point me in the right direction, I can go do that for you. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to start telling people what they are and are not. That's been my way since I was a youth because I'm so sick of people doing it to me that I don't want it done to anyone else. And what I'm stating in that situ in this situation is, is that what queer looks like is it looks like as many as many different beings that are on this planet that's what it looks like it looks like that that's what queerness looks like there's no there's no uniform there's no box there's we didn't all get care packages or tiktok pack uh, panel packages like that's not what we got like we just we we all had to come to an understanding of what we are through lived experience and through that lived experience nobody can dictate what you should be nobody can tell you you're not queer enough you don't look queer enough for some people looking queer is a dangerous thing for some people um looking queer and that's another thing of air quotes because i don't really believe there's a way to look queer i mean like you could confuse a queer person with a punk you can confuse a punk with a metalhead you can like we have so many different categories of things that what the why would you expect a group of a conglomerate community that's made up of every nation in the world like we're the only community that is comprised of everything 
Why? Because you heterosexual people won't stop making us. So, like, we're comprised of everything. So why would you be able to just narrow down what we look like to one thing? Not to mention queerness is influenced by culture. It's influenced by spirituality. It's influenced by econ like economics. It's influenced, it's influenced by family dynamic. It's influenced by all of those things. Why would we be able to just boil it down into one thing? Why would we be able to tell somebody, oh, queerness looks like this? Because that's what, uh, going back to the L word, because I fucking hate that show. Fuck you, L word. I know they rebooted you, but you can suck my dick. Um, going back to the L word. I remember looking at that show as a youth and being like, one, there's no representation of me on the show. Two, I have no idea why, like, they have five distinct archetypes. And then I realized another show has five distinct archetypes. Power Rangers. And that's when I realized archetypes are bullshit. Archetypes are bullshit. The Blue Ranger always gotta be smart. The Black Ranger gotta be dancey or ethnic. The Yellow Ranger has to be um, uh, Asian or a black girl, period. <laughs> the Red Ranger has to be like the dark haired, brawny, like all American kid. The Six Ranger always has to be the aloof emo motherfucker who might taste the dark side. You get what I'm saying? Like, like it's always some bullshit. And then I realized that like the L word was like the Power Rangers of gay white women. It was like, think about it. I don't even know all those characters names, but if you watch the Power Rangers and then you watch like the first season of the L word and you like, all right, so I got the archetypes from the Power Rangers. Then you take those archetypes and you visit them over to this, to this queer show about white women, about rich fucking white women. <laughs> You're like, oh, so each one of them falls into a different Power Rangers like spectrum as a, as a queer woman, as a, a lesbian. There's only five or to six kind of lesbians. That's fucking weird that we're looking like, yo, there's only six. There's only six. I mean, there's seven point, what is it? 7.7 7 billion people on this planet, but there's only six kinds of lesbians. Or you watch Noah's Ark and it's like, oh, there's only five kinds of gay men. There's only five kinds of gay black men. Like, I, I love Noah's Ark. I am not shooting on Noah's Ark. I don't want no smoke from the Noah's Ark community because I know we get enough shit because we don't get enough fucking play. We also don't get enough fucking episodes. Um, so I'm just going to say this out loud. Bring back Noah's Ark, you motherfuckers. Um, I don't I want no smoke. back recently, actually. Stop lying. I think they rebooted it. What? I remember seeing something about, like, a reunion or reboot, like, late last year or something like that. You mean after, jump the, after the jump the broom, after Noah's Ark jumped the broom? I think so. You stop lying to me. I think we, can, we can Google it right now. <laughs> don't fucking get me hyped. Like, don't Google get me. I don't could get be wrong. Because that but, show, uh, the, the Noah's Ark, I attribute Noah's Ark with giving me the gumption to become an advocate. Giving me the gumption to start doing this kind of work. But when I watched the L Word, I didn't get shit from that other than I didn't fit in. And I'm uh, because I had a penis, I wasn't a lesbian. I couldn't be queer in their world because I was black. And I had a penis. So I was like, oh, I can't even watch the show. <laughs> like, there was nothing for me. And then, like, tell me, like, I, uh, tell me you didn't watch Queer as Folk. I did, but it was something I always knew about. So Queer as Folk was problematic as fuck, first off. It was problematic because of the race relations. It was problematic because it took place in New York, but you rarely saw black people. Like, how the fuck is it in New York and you rarely see black people? Was it in New York? Or was it like I, I'm, I I could be wrong? It was in a big metropolitan city, and you you rarely saw black people. And when you did see black black people, they were in like alleys, or in dance clubs, like dancing by themselves and shit. Like it was weird. <laughs> and like, if you're supposed to pick up the archetype that you fit in from those two shows as a black person, you don't fit in at all. Look, you don't fit in at all. And don't mistake representation with indoctrination. I don't want to be told like, okay, so if you don't, if you're not wild as fuck and you don't fuck people at work, uh, you're not the proper gay. If you don't, if you're not like a power hungry uh, executive during the day and a low key pedophile at night, you're not, you're not doing queer right. Cause that's what the 
queer as fuck was. Homeboy was a low key like pedophile. He was a low key pedophile. He's like fucking a high schooler when he was like in his late twenties. Like, come on, bro. You were like an architect running a company and shit. You were like the CEO of a company, and your your mate was in eighth was in ninth grade. Stop playing with me, bro. Like, it's just weird. Like the show was weird, and then like. It just had like this a uh, whole thing about like anti-feminist. There wasn't a lot of feminine stuff, and when the they did have feminine um, uh, gay male characters, they were always the comic relief. And and, and that's in all three shows, in Noah's Ark, uh, in Noah's Ark, uh, the L word, and um, Queerish Folk. Anytime there was a masculine, um, well, a, a gay femme, they were always seen as comic relief they were always the one who were doing was doing the taboo shit like drag or being highly femme or like dressing really really flamboyant Th- those are the ones who were always like kind of like shunned everybody else was like oh i'm an architect i'm this and i'm that what do you do i'm a drag queen it's the only thing that really I bubbly personality Right, and they were constantly being. It showed me, especially uh, queer folk. Queer folk showed me that being, and this was one of the things that scared me away from being um, uh, high femme, and because I was very feminine as a child, I stopped doing it because of a, a mixture of uh, culture, um, uh, media, and those things. And one of the media uh, snips that made me afraid to be femme in public was I noticed that gay femmes in the queerest folk world in that canon never really settled on a partner they never had a partner they were always looked at as well nobody wants to be with me because i'm hyper femme noah's ark broke that mold but by the time noah's ark broke that mold i was an adult there's no representation for me to build my queerness off of from Queer's Folk, which was on when I was a fucking early teenager, to Noah's Ark when I was in my late, late to early 30s. Like, late 20s to early 30s. There was no representation there. So one of the biggest things about, like, what queerness looked like to me was it had to look stealthy and hyper-masculine. It had to look stealthy and hyper-masculine. Because that's what that's how I was influenced. And like we were talking about earlier about how media influences what we do and, and, and who we are. And a lot of the influence that I got as a black queer child was that I one didn't exist. Two, like I was too feminine to be taken seriously. Three, I had to stay stealthy to remain safe. And four, I had to be hypersexual and hypermasculine. So I was all of those things in my teenage years. I was all of those things. A lot of uh, I don't I, when I said I don't have long, I never had long term relationships with my pansexuality with any other gender. It was because I was under the illusion that I was only to cruise those genders. You know what I mean by cruise? Am I aging myself yeah. by saying cruising? No, I know what you mean. Right, because I might be aging myself to some of y'all. Cruising is when you go and you find booty in weird places that might ultimately put you in danger. Cruising is the uh, destination for DL niggas. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I would, I would, um, all right, let, let's just go through a night. I would go to a wrestling show and I would show up, up show up as hyper masculine Gabriel Saint and I would talk to girls and laugh and joke at them and all that, all that other shit. And as soon as we left the show, I was like, look, check this out. Um, uh, check this out. I'm a, uh, I'm gonna run to Highland Park real quick and get some booty. But I didn't want to know the person's name. I didn't want to know anything about them. I didn't want them knowing anything about me. All I, the only question I asked was, "Did you bring protection?" <laughs> like that was it. And that my influence of what queer was was based upon negative stereotypes provided to me by media. And now I'm so glad that nowadays, like. The representation that's starting to come about when it comes to being queer is starting to show all different kinds of facets of queerness, like uh, Mexicans, indigenous people, um, uh, trans men. Um, there hasn't been a proper representation, I would say, and I don't know if I'm stepping out of line. There hasn't been a proper representation of a gender or asexual on television yet. Not a whole lot, but from what I understand, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of like newly coming to the fold. Like there's 
I haven't seen it, but there's an asexual character on BoJack Horseman. That okay. hearing is very like very accurate to the asexual experience. It's treated like very seriously without like poking fun at it or just making this character comic relief. I still need to see it myself, but the the few asexual examples that was like explicitly asexual, like that name always comes up as something that does it right. Right, like oh, what, what queerness looks like is always uh, driven by pop culture. It's what queerness looks like is driven by pop culture. And if you're a black person who grew up in the '80s and lived through the '90s, there was literally no, uh, there was no mainstream representation of we- what queer looks like beyond RuPaul. There wasn't like and if and and once you started finding those little things, they were so far out of what white queer people considered queer that we had to begin like a subculture of black queerness, like which happens in every culture that we're involved in. We always have to build a subculture to protect ourselves. That's where ballroom came from. That's like that's where um, houses came from and all this other shit that's being borrowed by white people now. Um I know you mad white people. I know I'm I'm constantly on your ass. I'm going to stay on your ass. So just get used to it. I'm going to jump up and down on your backside until the world changes. So if you got a problem with that, hit the bricks, baby. Um I just think that like and I'm so glad we had this conversation today because I've been thinking about this and I didn't know how to put it into words. A lot of the the shit that I went through as a youth can be tied to fam- family drama. But it can also be tied to no representation and no guidance into what I was. A, 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 a mini series or a small movie that fucking fucked people over. Uh, yeah, Paris is Burning fucked everyone over, but the white woman who made it. Um, a Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark starts rolling and starts teaching us about how we can be economically, financially, and, and creatively our own people. And they took it off the air. <laughs> like they took it off the air, but you still got queers folk. Uh, they talk about uh, yeah, they talk about bringing queers folk back. They brought the L word back. Like there's still really not a lot of representation from us. And then to top it off, then you got RuPaul's Drag Race where they're building up these new trans superstars. I mean, like well, drag superstars. And while they're building up these new drag superstars, you see in that in that fandom that a lot of the toxicity about what we should look like is always aimed at uh, uh, drag queens of color. RuPaul's Drag Race fandom is toxic and racist as fuck. I said it. Michelle Visage has no place in the community. Um, um, Joe, since you're my social media person, you are going to be getting a overwhelming wave of hate mail because of what I just said. That's okay. Uh, for what it's worth, I've still never seen RuPaul's Drag Race. I have no bless, idea your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. Bless your. I watched. Uh, look, um, when I was, it was my only escape when I was still identifying as, uh, when I was still identifying as a male, and I, the only person I could talk to about it and feel like, like I was being authentic, was um, shout out to Amanda Huber, the Heather, Heather's for life. Um, make sure you um make sure you tag her when we put this up because I gotta say hi to my Heather. Um, okay, I'll make a note of it. Shout out to um Amanda Huber. She was the only person who made me feel comfortable in my queerness, and it was like I, it wasn't like she was unaware. I think, and I I, I want to have that conversation with her in the future. I feel like she was always aware that I was some form of queer because she always made me feel so comfortable with it. She never second guessed me or anything like that. And a lot of the times, the only time I was able to talk about my queerness and be authentic uh, in any kind of way was when me and her were having conversations about RuPaul's Drag Race. And a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race influenced my aesthetic when I first came out, when I first started transitioning. I did a lot of drag makeup. I had to have high heels. My nails had to be done. Like I had to have like everything had to be kind of like tailored to me. I wore like hip and butt pads, even though I have a huge ass. Um, Like I did all the, the drag stuff because I was like, this is what it is to be gay. This is what queer looks like, right? And then, like, one day I woke up and I was like, hold on, even doing all this stuff, the community and the fandom doesn't accept people like me because, one, I'm black, and two, I'm trans. 
the RuPaul's Drag Race community up until recently after being called out hundreds of times is problematic towards trans women. The, for the first time ever, they had a trans man on the show and he got further than anybody else. But he was the first person to be openly accepted by RuPaul and a lot of the flat, flat that's coming from that is that he's white. When you had Asian trans representation, when you had black trans representation, when you had Latino trans rep representation, it was like something that y'all didn't want to talk about. So Carmen Carrera is not allowed to come back to that show. She's not featured on that show because she called out transphobia amidst a, a community of gay people and was silenced by them. Peppermint was allowed to be on the show, but kind of had to like detransition a little bit because what does queer look like on television? It don't look like ethnic trans people. It just didn't. Now it's starting to, to come around with like Janet Mock and um, Laverne Cox and people like that. But even in that, those are um, um, icons for us to look up to. We don't necessarily have to look like them. That is their aesthetic. That is how they express their queerness. That is how they express their identity. We don't necessarily have to go out of our way to look at it. So before all y'all run to y'all local plastic surgeon, because that's what they believe, they all believe that we have a McDonald's plastic surgeon that we can just drive to some drive through and we'll come out looking like Levine Cox. That costs about $100,950,000. Like, <laughs> it costs a lot of fucking money. So all of us can't just run through some shit and go get a bunch of stuff. Like... Neither like uh, either Janet Mock either. Janet Mock is a beautiful fucking black woman, a beautiful black trans woman. That doesn't necessarily mean that my goal is to look like her. She's five foot nothing. I'm six feet tall. She probably weighs 135 pounds soaking wet. I am 230 pounds. Her feet are probably a size six and she probably smells like rose petals. I'm fucking six feet tall. I got fucking Hulk Hogan style biceps, uh, uh, huge 40 year old saggy tits, and I wear a size 10. What the fuck y'all want from me? <laughs> like, I can't look like her. I'm not trying to look like her. I mean, I love her to death. She's fucking beautiful. Not, that's not for me. That aesthetic is not for me. It's not something that I can achieve without putting myself through so much strife that it will become uh, a, a desperate situation for me. We gotta stop attributing what queer looks like to media. We gotta stop attributing what queer looks like to other people's opinion. What queer looks like is if you are a queer person, I want you to get up out of your fucking chair. I want you to walk to the closest mirror to you, look in the mirror. That's what queer looks like. Yeah. Right. I'm lighting a cigarette, Andrew Dice Clay style. He's a piece of shit, but I like lighting my cigarette like <laughs> Yeah, and to like kind of like piggyback off that, I'll also say that if there's anything I've gathered from this conversation, it's that queer doesn't really look like anything, but queer is a feeling. And I think the distance from what other people perceive your queerness or their own queerness as and it just not meshing perfectly is because it's hard to put it's hard to equate words to feelings but i think like as community is evolving it gets a little bit easier like you said earlier you identified as bisexual because pansexual just wasn't a term you had back when you were younger and now we have terms like that like there was a there was a quote i always liked from college from audrey lord where she said you can't use the master's tools to rebuild a new house, basically saying that we can't try to define new things with old language. And the more that language is evolving, it gets easier to kind of define your own queerness and the easier it is for everybody to define their own queerness with new terms, new ideas it gets easier to everybody accepting every other, everybody else's queerness for what is we're still a few steps back from getting to that global acceptance, but it's like baby steps right now, I think. Right, because you got to think about social norms when it comes to how we're perceived and how social norms have created barriers for us to exist. 
social norms. Like, all right, so it's 2021. Um, in 1991, a show like this that we are on right now with two black queer people speaking openly would not have been allowed to exist. The fact that I call myself Tranos would be seen as deprecating humor back in the, the 90s. But Tranos is a, a, a term of empowerment to me. One of my pronouns, a lot of people are like, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, hers, and Jotun. And people are like, what's Jotun? And I mean, it's giant. Giantess. It's it's Scandinavian, uh, Celtic, and, and Scandinavian Celtic in origin. But because I identify myself that way, some people would question my queerness. Am I trans femme enough because I choose to use identifiers that might fall outside of the dainty norm. Like I'm not calling myself she, her mistress, or I, I didn't name myself pedal. No, it's she, her Yoten. And you can use those interchangeably and I'll answer to them. But that is for me to judge what my pronouns are. What makes me feel comfortable. Not the, what the rest of the world says. I identified with with those ways because it connects me to heritage and it connects me to a power that I normally forget that I have as a trans woman of color walking around this life. It don't hurt to have some title to make you feel powerful because a lot of the time your power is taken from you. With that being said, the B trans be queer, do crime period, period. Yeah. If you look out, if you, if you want to know what queer looks like, get your ass up. And find a reflective service and stare into it. And now we have reached the 52 minute mark. So with that being said, this has been Tranos in the lived experience. I'm Cameron Ellen Jarrell, also known as Tranos. Say that shit with your whole chest or I will kick you in the asshole and then dirty Sanchez you. And my guest, state your name. I am Jerry Anthony Myrick. Uh, that's at William Bamis Jam everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Thank you kindly. And this has been the show that drives you through the hood, spends your money, and then dumps you without your phone so you can't get an Uber. Suck our dick from the back. <laughs>